It's unfortunate that we can't meet in McKenna, so I guess this place will have to be. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm grateful to worship with you all in this beautiful and sacred place. So before we go further, um, will you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are worthy of all our praise. We thank you for going through great lengths to save and care for our souls. Will you help us to know the riches of your love in the following moments? Will you help us in our every need this morning? We'll give you our hearts and our minds to you right now. Help us to hear your word as you desire us to hear it. Amen. Well, today we're continuing to move through ordinary time, or what's called Trinity Tide. And speaking of the Trinity, um, as I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but be drawn to the Trinitarian language that Paul uses in this Romans passage today. And I felt the Lord uh, moving me to, to preach on this passage. So if you have access to a Bible, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 34. Again, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 34. And we're going to find in this passage what's commonly called the golden chain of salvation in verses 29 through 30. And while these verses certainly speak of our salvation, I think they also speak of restoration. Alternatively, I've heard this called the golden chain of hope, and I actually think that might be a better title. Because it's not just with these verses, but the whole passage that we've heard today, that we see Paul pointing to the great work of God in our lives in the midst of our suffering and weaknesses. So today I'm going to continue emphasizing themes like we've heard Tegan and Emily preach the past couple Sundays, those themes of assurance and hardships and evil. And before we dive in, I want us to take a step back and very briefly acknowledge how Paul leads up to this passage. In the chapters before, Paul speaks about the issue of sin. He speaks about how our flesh comes into conflict with the law of God because the law exposes our sin. But through faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit, we are freed from the law and we can walk in righteousness. Now, as great as that is, we know that we still live in a fallen world. We still wrestle with sin in our flesh. And we hear about terrible things happening all across the world. And, and we know that illness and decay remains a burden to all of creation. We see hate and a disregard for human dignity spewed all across social media. And we have negative and sometimes hostile interactions with people face-to-face, day-to-day. And in short, as Emily uh, touched on last Sunday, all of creation, and especially the church, is groaning for restoration. And it's my desire this morning that you will find comfort for your souls as we work our way through this Romans passage. That you will find a renewed sense of hope and a renewed sense of understanding of your relationship with Christ. And I hope that you can see that our triune God is working all things together for good. 
So let's begin by zooming in on the Holy Spirit here. Again, we're in Romans chapter 8, and we'll start reading here at verse 26. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here Paul is assuring us that the Spirit joins us in our groanings as Paul refers to back in verses 18 through 25. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness, which can entail many things. From a contextual standpoint, we'll know that the Christians in Rome were facing persecution for, from the Roman Empire, at least that was beginning to start. And there was also tension between the Jewish and Gentile believers. But I think there are other issues that we have in common with the audience of Paul's time. Notice how he says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. How many of you resonate with that? How many of you get up out of bed, work your way through the scriptures, and try to have a meaningful time of prayer, and it just feels dull? You can barely come up with anything to pray. Perhaps life was just so hard and chaotic at the moment, you just didn't even know where to begin with God. Perhaps you were just in pain, and life had knocked the breath out of you, and you're just trying to gasp for, for air, let alone words. Well, the Spirit is with us in those moments. He's also with us when we struggle with sin. Like when we don't do the good we want to do, but instead, keep falling into the sinful things that we don't want to do, as Paul refers to back in chapter 7. He's with us when our depression has pinned us against our beds. He's with us when we're harboring bitterness against a co-worker. He's with us when we don't know what to do with our faith when a loved one is suffering from a terminal illness. He's with us when we're speechless, hopeless, thoughtless, and prayerless. The Spirit really hears our groanings, and He groans with us. And even when we cannot pray, He is praying for us. Paul says He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It pains the Holy Spirit to see us go through our hardships and our weaknesses. Paul also says He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we fail to pray and do as we ought, the Spirit is praying and working in complete alignment with the will of the Father. Therefore, He knows, He knows what we really need, and He's interceding on our behalf. How is that with your soul? How is that? How, how does that make you feel to know that right now, at this very second, the Spirit is praying for you? I think the outcome of the Spirit's intercession for us is exemplified in verse 28 when Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What a promise. What a wonderful promise of God. Friends, know that every hardship right now, every struggle that you're going through right now, which feels so monumental, so hopeless, so paralyzing, 
God is going to bring good out of every part of those burdens. I believe he is already doing that right now for many of us. And I know it may not feel like it, but I encourage you to lean into faith and trust this promise of God for you. And this is where we're going to zoom in more on the work of the Father. We see in verse 28 that the reason why God brings good out of these things is both for our good and for the sake of his purpose. And what is his purpose? Well, it's contained in verses 29 through 30, which is what we often call the golden chain. Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, God's purpose is a promise for us, a promise that addresses our weaknesses and our suffering. And God's purpose is rooted in and culminates in the very person of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this golden chain of hope. I think the key to understanding what Paul means by those whom God foreknew is to look at the end of the verse when Paul says, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among a large family, as the NRSV translates it. So these verses and this whole passage is concerned about a collective group, not just about individuals, not just about God choosing individuals for salvation. Paul is pointing to the church here. And this word for new can either mean that before the before creation, God knew who would place their faith in Christ. Or Paul could be using a biblical concept of knowing that has this relational connotation, which could be translated as foreloved, like how Adam knew Eve, or how God knew Israel among all the nations of the earth. Either way, Paul is showing that God has a special love and a plan for his church. Yes. And the good news is that anyone, anyone in this room, anyone out there on the street, any man, woman, or child who puts their faith in Christ will be grafted into this group. Amen. The Bible also calls this group the elect. And from the, big, the beginning of the time, beginning of time, I'm sorry, I can't get my words out. God has set in place the destiny for this group. The end goal is that they and we might be fully conformed to the image of Christ. You see, we are part of the elect because our faith in Christ has brought us into union with Christ who is the elect one. And he is the prototype, if you will, of what it means to truly be human. You see, this golden chain speaks not just of salvation, but of restoration for us, for humanity. It addresses the fall of Adam and Eve, which led to decreation and the dehumanizing effects on this world and humanity. It addresses the groanings Paul speaks of, and the answer to this problem is found entirely in Christ. You see, one reason he came to earth in the flesh was to take back humanity from the effects of the fall. He came to recreate what had been decreated by establishing himself as the true human. Mm -hmm. 
to reunite the Spirit of God with the flesh. He's came, he came to restore humanity. And he's invited us to enter back into true humanity through him. This gets to the questions that so many of us ask. What does it mean to be truly human? Mm, yeah. What is the reason for our existence? What is our purpose? Well, in short, our purpose, our identity, is found in our union with Christ. And we come to know our Creator more through Him. Mm -hmm. Now, I've emphasized a lot about this restoration, but we shouldn't look over what this passage has to say about our salvation. Because our salvation is kind of like the running thread within our restoration. In verse 30, Paul says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, God has called all of us to put our faith in Christ and to follow him. And when we put our faith in Christ, God justifies us. To justify can mean to pronounce a verdict that someone is in full accordance with the requirements of the law. Now the beauty of this is that despite our weakness and sin, despite our inability to fulfill the law on our own, we nevertheless stand as righteous saints before God because of Christ's righteousness. And his righteousness continually transforms us. And I think with the structure of these verses, Paul alludes to this fact that our salvation is a lifelong journey of maturing in Christ-likeness, which entails sanctification and glorification. This reality of glorification is twofold. On the one hand, we get to share the glories of God right now. I think this is part of what Paul means in verse 32 when he says, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We get to experience this relationship of delight and the glory of the triune God right now. But then on the other hand, we know that we're promised a glorified body. As Philippians 3 verses 20 through 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So I want to ask, how does your heart respond to all this? Paul gives a powerful response in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, if what we've heard so far is true, if the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, if the Father is working all things together for good, and He's bringing our salvation to completion, then who or what can possibly stand against us? The efforts of Satan and his demons are futile. And God's love and His marvelous work for us is greater than any of our weaknesses or our sins. In our hardships. Friends, you worship a God who is for you, not against you. Yes. And now we come to verse 34. We've seen what this passage has to say about the Spirit, about the Father's work, but now we're going to look more at what Paul says about Jesus. 
In verse 34, Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If you notice here, there's been like this sandwich of intercession throughout this whole passage. At the beginning in verses 20 and 26 through 27, we saw how the Spirit is interceding for us. And then here in verse 34, Paul brings this good news home by saying that Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. And Paul indicates that Jesus is interceding for us against any condemnation. And there are several ways that we are threatened with condemnation. But first we must remember that through our faith in Christ, we face no condemnation from God. Because God has justified us and removed the burden of guilt that's caused by our sin. We do know, however, that Satan tries to condemn us. He's doing everything in his power to kill our faith. This is why the scriptures refer to Satan as the accuser or our adversary. And I think we often fail to recognize how the powers and principalities are working against us from day to day. And Satan will use any means he can to condemn us and to scare us. One of his most common tactics seems to be using our past and our present sins against us. He tries to convince us that we still stand guilty before God in our sins. Or he'll use other people who try to diminish our faith and our salvation. And perhaps he influences the way that we sometimes condemn ourselves. We tell ourselves that we've fallen too far from God's grace, or that Christ looks at us with shame or disappointment. I think about how we're often quick to offer a friend comfort and assurance when they've messed up and when they've made a mistake. But we're even quicker to be harsh and condemning on ourselves. But what would it be like if we spoke the promises of God to ourselves just like we would to a friend? As your brother in Christ, I just, I just want to remind you that, that Jesus died for you. That his blood speaks a better word than the condemning voice of yes. Satan and any other opposition, uh, voice of opposition. His blood speaks forgiveness and assurance over your life. His blood is more powerful than your besetting sins. You see, Christ sees our struggle. He sees our pain and our fear. And he doesn't condemn us. We who are weak and weary. No, rather, he intercedes for us. Mm -hmm as we hang on to him for hope. And therefore, as Paul says here in verse 34, who is to condemn? The answer really is no one. Nothing or no one can separate us from Christ's love. Nothing can diminish our value and our identity as God's sons and daughters. And therefore, we have nothing to fear in this world. This reminds me of a Robert Murray McShane quote that's brought a lot of comfort to my life. He wrote, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Amen. Friends, we live in a beautiful world that points to God's glory. 
But we also recognize with the Apostle Paul that we live in a, in a fallen world. We live in a world where powers and principalities are working against us. We live in a fight against our flesh and sinfulness. And choosing to follow Christ is a wonderful but hard journey. Mm -hmm. But as Paul says in verse 17 of this very chapter, we are called to suffer with Christ so that we may also be glorified with Him. And as we've seen today, God promises He will indeed bring us into full glorification. Our trying God does hear our groanings for restoration, and He is working for our good and for His good purpose. The, the key to, all, to understanding all this, really, I think, is understanding who we are in Christ. I'll close with a quote that I hope captures the essence of, of what I've been trying to say. Andrew Murray once wrote, Uncertainty as to our relationship to, uncertainty as to our relationship to God is one of the most enfeebling and dispiriting things. Mm -hmm. It makes a man harmless. It takes the strength out of him. He cannot fight. He cannot run. He is easily dismayed and gives way. He can do nothing for God. But when we know that we are of God, we are vigorous, brave, invincible. There is no more quickening truth than this of assurance. Mm -hmm. Friends, as you follow Christ, whether it be running or by walking or even by fumbling, know that these truths and promises that we've been reminded of today are for you. You are a child of God, and our triune God is at work for your good. So wherever you are in life, whatever you're facing in life, lift up your eyes, move forward boldly, and know that our help comes from the Lord, and we await a greater hope.